You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning. I'm all in. What about you? Can I, can I hear you say, I'm all in? I think you can do better than that. I'm all in. There you go. I hope that you understand that when you become a Christian, you ought to be all in and all the time. Because the truth is, we're going to talk about I'm all in for the long haul. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. All right? I know a little something about a marathon. I ran one once. One and done. That's all it took. And it's well documented for every mile you run it will add one day to your life. That enables you at 95 years of age to spend an extra month in the hospital at 95 or $5,000 a month, okay? It's like not worth it. The only reason I took up running was so that I could hear heavy breathing again. It was just my own. Uh, the only real advantage is that you just die healthier, right? Uh, but it's a marathon. Um, and it's not, it's not just a marathon we're talking about. It's like your marriage, too. Because when you get married, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, oh, I'll take richer. I'll take better. It is not a multiple choice. And so sometimes you get the other end of it. And it is a commitment that you make before God that it is the long haul. And so today we're going to talk about I'm all in for the long haul. If you're a Christian, then it's like running a marathon forever for the rest of your life. What's the difference? Why do some people seem to do well and other people seem to fade out? Why will one couple um, decide to get married and, and they'll last and have a good marriage for 60 years? And another couple gets married and they just last a few short years. What, what's the difference there? What's the difference with uh, perhaps a, a young couple, two teenagers, um, that... Um, that are going to go off to college and they're saving themselves for marriage and they say to each other, let's be accountable to one another throughout high school. And then they go off to college and one of them stays pure and the other starts sleeping around and parties every weekend. What's the difference between two people struggling with drugs and alcohol and addiction and they both commit to changing their lives and one commits and changes and the other goes back to their struggle? What about two people who decide that they hear a call from God that they should enter into the ministry? And they go into the ministry and one becomes a pastor and the other one gradually moves toward the world and falls out of the ministry and Christianity altogether. What about two people that are baptized? One of them follows Christ very closely and the other just kind of fades away. What's the difference? Why do some people make it and other people don't? Is it just their inner commitment? Is it their resolve? Is it something that's inside of them? What makes a difference in their life? Uh, and is it their church involvement? Is it, is it friendship with people in the church? What, what difference does it make? Uh, why don't all people make it? Um, and maybe a simple answer is, well, we're all sinners. Well, that's true, but why do some people make it and other people don't? Last week we learned that some things you can't do half, halfway. You're either all in or you're not. 
And so today we're going to take that all in and that we're in it for the long haul, the rest of the long haul. Um, now, when I went into ministry, I, I was really pretty young. I was kind of in the middle or really toward the end of my college years, even though I went to Bible college from the get-go. And the reason why it took me a long time to finally enter the ministry and be ordained to the ministry, it was after I graduated technically from college when a lot of the other kids were getting ordained when they were in college. Um, I didn't because I really struggled. And I struggled with this verse particularly. It is in Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so I took that very, very seriously. I knew that if I would ever commit, not only to Christianity, but I would commit to the ministry, that I would never, ever falter and, and turn back and not continue in the ministry. I don't know if you know this or not, but the statistics are against me. 50% of everybody that goes into the ministry drop out in the first five years. One out of ten that go into the ministry, one out of ten will retire from the ministry. And so I entered into the ministry. My first church, as I mentioned um, last week, was down in southern Kentucky. And when I started, I was preaching the sermon, and I was volunteering in the church and mowing the cemetery and doing hospital calls and everything you expect a preacher to do. But we just had Sunday morning, but then they said, well, you need to start teaching Sunday school class. So I started teaching class, and then you need to, teach, you need to preach Sunday night, and then you need to do Wednesday night. And just, it just kept adding on. And I remember telling you last week that, that after, after a few years of that, I thought, there is no wonder that preachers have to move every two or three years because they just get so buried, they just can't keep up. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to stay in one place, I'd better figure that one out. By the way, I've stayed here 35 years, 11 months, and 10 days today. Um, <clears throat> it's always easy to know because I came January 1st, 1984. But one of the reasons, my wife, by the way, she would have never married me if she knew I was going to be a preacher. Okay? And one of the reasons was because preachers moved around all the time. And she didn't want to move around, so staying put was very, very important to her. It was important to me, and that scripture was very important. But once I put my hand to the plow, I'm not going to let go. Uh, so how do some people, uh, how some people make it? You know, and I thought about, you know, leading a church for such a long time. I, I really thought like Moses. Moses led the people in the wilderness for 40 years. I think, okay, maybe I lead the people for 40 years in the wilderness. And some people say, Robin, you're not in the wilderness. You're in a fog. There is a difference. Um, but but it's, it's been a long time. So I really believe, I really believe that I have something personal that I'll be able to share and speak to about this topic. How do you stay in it for the long haul? Because the truth is, the road's going to be tough. There's going to be mountains to climb. There's going to be valleys to go through. There's going to be things that you can't imagine going on in life. How do you stay faithful? And how do you keep uh, doing what you do being all in for the long haul. I'm not just talking about the ministry. I'm talking about the Christian life because it's more like a marathon than it is a sprint. And so how do you keep focused? How do you keep fueled? How do you keep uh, uh, in there until you reach the finish line? How do you do that? And so I want to talk about three things that absolutely are key and vital. I think it's true in the ministry. I think it's true in the Christian life. And I think it's true in any area that you're going to be in in life. So I think this is really important. You probably ought to take notes and at least make some mental notes here this morning. Here's number one. Your vision will keep you focused. 
It is what you think about yourself, what you know about yourself, and what God has created you to do because the road is hard, that there are deserts to cross. There are mountains to climb or tunnel through, and it's going to be hard sometimes, and there's going to be reasons to quit. Um, when it comes to vision or purpose, businesses know this. Uh, good leaders know this. People like uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Churchill, Disney, were, Disney, all of them met major obstacles in their life, and all of them had every reason to quit, and they didn't quit because they knew that they were called to a vision or a purpose that was greater than themselves. Steve Jobs, who worked for Apple for a while, he said, if you are working on something exciting that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. So when you get this kind of a vision that, that's going to capture your heart and soul, you're going to stay in it for the long haul, and you have to have that. that. The Bible calls it a purpose. And purpose is one of those things that is probably one of the deepest-seated things that we as human beings need. Um, there's a lot of people that's become very famous and very rich that get to a place in their life where they say it's meaningless and there's something, there's, they're missing something. Philosophers and psychologists have spent a lot of money and done a lot of research to try to find out what is that missing key component in that. And, and it comes down to vision and purpose. But the reason they can't hardly find it is because that vision and purpose from, comes from God, and that's not where they're looking. Let me give you a few examples. Moses. When Moses was standing at the burning bush, he saw a vision of God that would so create a burning passion in him that he would go before the most powerful man in all the world at that time. Later, as he was leading the people and he got the, on the mountain of Sinai, he wanted to see the face of God, and God said, nobody sees the face of God and lives. But God hit him in the cleft of the rock, and as he passed by, God allowed him to see the back. And Moses was never the same after that. How about Isaiah the prophet? In Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 6, uh, he has the vision. He sees the Lord high and exalted, seated upon his throne. And his, the, the train of his robe absolutely filled the temple. And there was angels flying all around, and they were singing, holy, holy, holy. And, and their voice was so loud and powerful that, that it says it sounded like thunder. And the doorposts, they began to shake. And, after he, and, and smoke filled the temple. And he, after he had that vision, he said, here am I, Lord, send me. And he never changed. And we could go on, we could talk about Aaron or Jacob or Daniel or Ezekiel or Stephen or Peter or Paul because they all had these kind of a vision that they saw what God could do in their life and it gave them a purpose and a vision and they never, ever changed. Let's fast forward it to the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God created you to do work. And if you have a vision that is God-sized, it will cause your pulse to quicken. It will cause you to have a, a vision and a power that will ignite you in a way that nothing else will in life. If your vision isn't so huge and awe-inspiring that it's almost beyond your reach, then it's not big enough if you're working with God. Northside through the years have had that kind of a vision. Years ago, we used to call it a BHAG big, hairy, audacious goal. But in the last few years, we, we uh, re-identified it, and we called it gutsy faith. 
where we would step out and do things that just seemed to be absolutely beyond our reach, that were incredible. And if you're, you, you do great, you attempt great things for God, you expect great things from God that we couldn't accomplish without God. And whether you're talking about the birth of this church when it was born in 1977, or you're talking about when we started reaching out uh, beyond our walls and taking the, the gospel all around the world on our mission trip and building churches in foreign countries, or you're talking about uh, when we purchased the land and built and relocated here, which was millions and millions of dollars, or just recently when uh, uh, we started the Medina campus, which was beyond our financial ability and a, and a vision that goes, it's gutsy faith. And when you, have the, when you have that understanding of who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do, it, it gives you a vision that will propel you to the future and it will help to keep you focused in what God has called you to do. Here's number two. Your connection to Christ is what's going to keep you fueled. Because I don't believe that you can do it in, for the long haul forever unless you're connected to Christ. John chapter 15 talks a lot about being all in. And it's all about being connected with Jesus Christ. I want to study that passage for just a few moments. Look at verse 1 of John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. There are seven I am statements, and every time Jesus makes one of those statements, he is making the, assur the, uh, the assertion that he is deity. So the first line is, I am the true vine. In other words, he is the source of growth. He's the source of connectedness. He is the growth. He is the source of you being able to hang in there for the long haul. Now, the first century they could understand that because they had an agricultural lifestyle. They had grape arbors all around. They had... Uh, um, uh, olive groves, you know, things like that, where they understood some of those things. And so he says, I am the true vine, and my heavenly Father is the gardener. So in other words, God is the one that's going to take care of that, but it's through Jesus Christ that we are connected. Look at verse 2. This could scare us. He cuts off every branch in, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So it's like, okay, we better be bearing fruit because if we don't he's going to cut us off but even if we bear fruit we're going to be pruned now any of you we're a little bit in an agricultural area you ought to understand pruning if you've had a garden or uh, apple trees or whatever you prune those back and it can look ugly and devastating but you do that because you know the value of pruning that it's going to come back richer and fuller and going to produce more fruit but when it happens to us we start saying whoa god what are you doing because we don't like that pruning but God, who is the Father, who is the gardener, he knows what we need. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying you stay attached to the source. Well, how do you do that? Here's a couple of ways I think they're vital. One is praying. That is like if you're going to look at an arrow, that is pointing up. That is us pouring our heart and our life out to God. That is speaking to Him. If you have two people that are close to each other, there's going to be good communication. That communication is going to go both ways. So we're going to pray, and we're going to uh, reach up to God, you know, with our deepest needs. And, and it, you don't, it doesn't have to be flowery, and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, beyond. you're just talking to a friend, okay? Um, but... There has to come that time in that communication that God speaks to us. That's the arrow that points down to us, and that's his word. Because that's how we know this is what we ought to pray for. 
Because if not, then we could be just doing a whole lot of ignorant prayers and we're praying for our own good and our own glory rather than God's. And so, so it's got to be a two-way street. But it's not just those arrows, my prayer going up, God's word coming down, but it's also the arrows that go out because he said we're supposed to bear fruit. That means that we need to take that out to others, our brothers and sisters and people in general. That's what he's talking about. And so this night that Jesus is saying that, is the night that he washed the disciples' feet that we talked about a few weeks ago. This was the night that he was going to be betrayed. Jesus has probably already discreetly excused himself from what was happening. And then Jesus got up. They were headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and they probably passed an olive grove or a, a, a grape arbor. And then he uses that to teach them about pruning and that application. And it shows us that long-term faithfulness, if we're going to stay in it for the long haul, that means we're going to bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, that is going to bring fulfillment in our lives in a way that only God can. Um, and the only way that we're going to stay in it for the long haul and bear fruit is if we are connected to Jesus Christ. And, um, and some people say, well, that, that goes without saying. Well, yeah, except there must be a lot of people that don't really understand that because they come into the faith and somewhere along the line they walk away from the faith or they leave the church or something of that nature. So, so I think we need to ask God, how, if we're supposed to bear fruit, how does God want to use me? What does God want to do with me and through me to give me that vision to, so that I can bear fruit and make a difference in people's lives? Let's go on, verses 4 to 6. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus uses the word remain. Did you notice how many times? I think in those couple of verses, he uses them five times. If you look at the passage, verses 1 through 10, he uses it 11 times. I don't think that is just a random word that he picks. I think it is a word that he uses 11 times uh, to emphasize repetition so that we'll kind of get that. And I think it also teaches that if you're going to be in it for the long haul, it is not something that is going to happen like overnight and very quickly. That's why you have to remain. You have to abide your version may, may say. Um, so he chooses that word, I think, very, very uh, importantly uh, to teach a lesson. Uh, I read just this last week about a grapevine that was planted in the year 1768. It's planted outside of London, England at the Hampton Court Palace. It happens to be the old palace of King Henry VIII. So they planted this grapevine in 1768. It has branches that are over 120 feet long. Its diameter at the base is 12 feet wide. Every end of winter, first of spring, they prune that all the way back. And the reason they prune it back is because it will produce more fruit. It now produces, 250 years later, it produces an average of 600 pounds of grapes every year. It's like, that is incredible. But it's because they know the value of pruning. And so God says, Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the, the gardener, and he knows what best, and he will prune us in that way. Um, and, and that means you have to acknowledge your complete dependence on him. If you're going to bear fruit, you've got to be connected to him. Um, and so in college, for the first time, 
you have to make a decision. Are you going to make it known that you're a Christian? Or are you just going to kind of, kind of keep that under wraps and, you know, gradually kind of slip away from Christ and become more and more like the world? Or maybe in your 30s, maybe you get a new job, and in that new job, your boss kind of takes a liking to you. And after a while, he kind of wants to know, what about your integrity? Can you be, is there any wiggle room there just a little bit? Maybe somewhere where uh, some of that gray area and you can make the company a lot more money. Uh, maybe in your 40s, you've been married for a long time. And maybe the excitement and fun is going on in marriage and there's more fights than there are fulfillments. And there's more friction than there is fun. And maybe you say something like, you know, maybe it'd just be better if I was detached rather than attached. Maybe you're old and you're starting to have some health-related problems. And Satan whispers in your ear, is that how your God treats you after a life of faithful service, after all you have done for him? Is that the way God's going to thank you? And if you let those doubts fester, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with anger and walk away? Or are you going to respond with a faith that grows and stays connected to the vine? In that passage, he says, he says, I am the true vine. I also wonder if the word true is specifically in there for a reason. Because if he says, I'm the true vine, that kind of indicates that maybe there's some vines out there that aren't really true. That they promise good things, but they really can't deliver. And so he says, I am the true vine. You're not going to bear good fruit unless you're connected to me. And, and so um, let's put it this way. If you're in business, you own a company, and you hire somebody, you spend some time training them, uh, letting them know their job description, uh, helping them to understand their role, what's expected of them, and, uh, and then you, you gradually let them do more and more. And if after four or five months, you know, they just, they bail. They say, this isn't for me. I'm out of here, you know which happens. But what if they're taught and trained and somewhere along the line they capture the vision and the purpose of that organization? They're going to stay for a long, long time. Do you know that's also true in the church? You can teach and you can train, but unless they catch the vision and the purpose of the church and what God has called us to do, they probably won't stay for a long, long time. And so how are you going to stay in it for the long haul? It is one thing, uh, like if you're in an emergency room and there's problems and you open the Bible that's been set there by the Gideons or you, you look at your Bible app and you uh, have some comfort for the moment and there's verses in there that will give you a comfort for the moment, give you hope for the moment. But isn't it better by far when you're more connected every day and you really develop that hope in your life? It's one thing to have a, an event where we volunteer our service one night of the year, like, like the Jesus Prom, and that's absolutely awesome and incredible. It's one thing that, to need to, to give in service like that, but wouldn't it be better that we can serve kind of all along the way throughout life? Um, it, that, that we say, well, I'm going to teach those middle school kids, and I'm going to pour my heart and my life into them, or the high school kids. I'm not going to just do it for a month or a night or two. I'm going to do it for the next two or three years. They become part of your family, and you pray for them, and you help them through a very difficult time in life to stay focused on Jesus Christ. Um, I'm, it's great. Sometimes you have uh, one-time gift offerings where we give like a, a special gift offering, which we're going to do, by the way, in two weeks. Uh, our goal is $100,000 to go to our Medina campus. 
And, uh, and the only way we can do it is we all basically give two or three times the amount of our offerings. So whatever you guys give on a, on a normal Sunday, if you can double or triple that, some aren't able to do that. We understand that. But um, the Medina Church, when we, when we started it, we didn't really have quite all the funds. And it, it took a whole lot to buy computer equipment and projector equipment and the music equipment and all the stuff for the kids and the nursery and, and, and so that about exhausted all the money. We paid cash for all that but going forward and so that Miracle Day offering is going to be for them. Our goal is 100000 and it is absolutely great to give one time but it's, isn't it even better to learn about tithing where we give consistently through the years and, and God blesses us in that regard. Um, just incredible um, and, and it helps us to loosen our grip on money that it has and and it's a different look in life when you have a look for the long haul look at the next few verses verses 8 to 14 this is to my father's glory not to ours to his that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples as the father has loved me so have i've loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commandments you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love I've told you this, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You know in that passage, it's really kind of talking about love as the natural byproduct of serving God and serving others. Um, and the, the closer you are connected with Christ, the more loving you become to other people. Now you really, you got to understand this because God's counting on you and us, all of us, to get that message because we're going to be able to share love of the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond these doors to people that would never darken the doors of a church. We got to get that. Then look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Did you notice the progression about the fruit in this passage? First of all, it says, you bear fruit. Then it says, you bear much fruit. Then it says, bear fruit that will last. That's talking about a spiritual legacy, something that is going to live on beyond you, all right? That goes back to our vision, and when companies or businesses, organizations, churches, people, when they figure that out, they will be fueled in Jesus Christ when they understand that. Um, you know, only eternity really can measure that. I can remember Sunday school teachers and vacation Bible school workers and youth camp workers and volunteers. I don't remember any lesson probably they ever taught me, but I remember them. And they have a spiritual legacy in my life and in my kids' life long after they're gone. And so I hope with me. And in fact, uh, these, uh, this gutsy faith that Northside has had all through the years, that really excites me. Because he said, if you're connected with Christ, you're going to bear much fruit. Fruit that's going to last. And so I look back over the last 35 years and I think, man, there's been incredible, really incredible things that God has done and blessed our church with because we're connected to the vine. That happens in our own lives. It happens in our church. So we've got to be connected and that ought to be exciting for us, especially like when now we're launching a, the Medina campus, which is running close to 200, 100 people that have never been at Northside before that are now visiting at, at Northside Medina, which is incredible. Great visions outlast any individual they're bigger than any one person 
and they can propel a team, an organization, a church, and a Christian. So vision keeps us focused. Connected to Christ keeps us bearing fruit for the long haul. Here's number three. Your reward will help you to finish. Because truth is, we're all going to go through tough times. We're going to have roads that are hard to travel. We're going to have valleys we're going to have to go through. We're going to have mountains we're going to have to climb. But listen, great things don't happen because people quit. Great things happen because people refuse to quit. And so when we know what God can do through our lives, it will make a difference if we refuse to quit. Nobody that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Look at this verse when you're tempted to quit. Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him, which is Jesus Christ, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When, the tough, when it gets tough, you look at Jesus Christ. He had it tough too, and he took it all the way to the end and then was resurrected. Look at John 15, 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we really can't do anything. You know what that reminded me of as I was looking at that this week? Um, it was years ago. I looked it up. It was, absu- it was March 1990. That's a long time ago. Some of y'all weren't even born. March 1990, a famous man came to Cleveland. His name was Michael Jordan. He came to play basketball in the playoffs, and he scored a playoff record. So you might remember that. 69 points in a single game, and he happened to do it against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Right? Well, at the end of the game, they took him out, and they put this kind of no-name player in, a guy named Stacy King that really didn't ever get to play much, and he scores one point. And after the game, here's the quote. Stacy King says, you know, I will always remember the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> we all know who was responsible, don't we? You know? Um, it, it reminded me of the elephant and the mouse that walked up across the bridge at the same time. And the mouse says, man, did we shake that bridge. You know, it, it's like we've got to understand it is not us. It is Jesus Christ. So we have got to be connected to him. Um, look at John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's incredibly important because we're asking God to plant a church in Medina and to make it successful. I have a friend just uh, last week. Uh, he posted on his Facebook page. His name's Barry Cameron. He preaches in a very large church down in Texas. Uh, he's written several books. Uh, the ABC's The Financial Success that we went through uh, several years ago. Uh, but anyway, Barry, uh, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, was just very, very discouraged, very tired, ready to quit. He's, he's probably somewhere around my age. And... Uh, um, his friend and mentor in the ministry was a fellow by the name of Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith, um, in fact, he married one of the couples that was in our last, uh, last hour. Uh, Wayne Smith was a longtime preacher in Lexington, Kentucky, a uh, great man of faith. Uh, he was known as the Bob Hope of the Christian church. Just He, he was great. But, but he was like uh, Barry Cameron. He was his mentor and friend. And so he, he flew from Texas to Lexington, Kentucky. Wayne was up in years, late 80s, 90s. He's passed away now. But he flew up there because he was so tired, so worn out. He was so ready to quit. He flew up to get Wayne's blessings to be able to quit. And so he took him out to eat. And they took him out. And by this time, he was in a wheelchair and shuffled along. And they set him outside the, the restaurant. He sat down. And then Wayne Smith said this. Here are three things that I'd do different. Number one, 
I quit too soon. And Barry thought, there's no way you're going to speak to me through him today. Remember, he went up there to get his blessing on quitting. And he said, number two, I would have done even greater things for God. Things that people were thought were impossible and crazy. Now, if you know the history of the church in Lexington, they did incredible things. And if you know anything about Barry Cameron's church, they have done incredible things. And Wayne Smith says, I would have done even crazier things for God. And then number three, he said, I would have hired you. And Barry said, you know, normally under normal circumstances, that would have moved me to tears. But I was still stunned by numbers one and two. And then he writes, now here we are, November 2019, right now. Four years later, they're getting ready to break ground on their new $24.5 million youth building because their church has given $42.5 million in cash and they're paying for it completely debt-free. He says, you remain in me, you ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. And if we are really trying to do what God wants us to do through his glory, then it will be done. You know what I thought of? I thought of this scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 or chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. He calls us to be faithful unto death. He says, and I will give you the crown of life. And I cannot wait for that day that I cross what some people call that rainbow bridge and I stand before God and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many. Enter the joy and share the happiness of my Father. When we see the reward that we're going to have someday, then we don't quit. We're in it and we're in it for the long haul. Because truth is, great things do not happen by those who quit. They happen by people who refuse to quit. I'm in it. I'm all in for the long haul. Let's pray.